It's on now. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see everyone. Um, thank you, Riley, for leading. And uh, I, hope, I hope those songs were helpful in, in stirring your faith and um, just readying your heart to receive, to believe. Um, a lot of the, the work when we come here is not sitting in a pew or chairs and hearing. It is deciding if we're going to believe what we're singing. It's deciding if we're going to believe what we're hearing. And so I want to challenge you with that today because personally what we're talking about is very majestic, is very glorious to the point where it just doesn't feel right to believe it because it's too good, it's too spectacular, it's like this is not normal life, like I can't really connect. But that's where, no, the gospel's better than we think. God is actually better. He loves you more than you realize. It's hard to, it's hard to believe. But that is the work we're called to. Not making sure you're a good person and you know, trying to look your best and making sure you really show up on Sunday with a, with a good attitude. Yeah, that's involved, but the work is just, man, do I believe this? Do I believe what we just sang? Do I believe that stuff? Am I really overwhelmed? Is he beautiful? Is he wonderful? Is he glorious? Yes, he is. Um, and Riley, Riley's actually, we've been doing uh, worship in Kidsville for a, a little while now, and so he's on his way back there with Landon. They're going to do some worship with the kids. And uh, that reminds me to uh, remind you that next week there is no Kidsville. We'll, all the kids will be in here with us. Nursery, there will be nursery. But um, just a heads up on that. We have Kidsville right now the first three weeks of every month. So we'll pick back up on June 4th. All right, you all know it. We're back. We back. Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 12. For about a year now, we've been walking through the book of Romans. Um, And honestly, with how deep this book is, uh, 16 chapters, we're about halfway through. And in a year, that's making good time, people. That's making good time. Um, In no way has our study been comprehensive. Um, In no way is it like, hey, everything, they don't have to revisit Romans again. No, we need Scripture is meant to be meditated on, not read through and acquired and then move on to something else. This is all of our life. We meditate on scripture. And today, um, I'm going to preach the word, but recently in this season of my life, I think God is teaching me the power of meditation and just coming in here on a Sunday morning. Let's just meditate together on this. Let's ask questions of the text. Let's ask questions of the Lord. What does that mean? How does that fit? Does this really mean that? Um, And that's some of what we're going to do today. That's some of the work we're going to do. And so um, don't be passive. We're not just trying to stay awake in here. Be involved. Be involved. You're listening. You're communing with the Lord. He is with you. He is in this place today. That's what we believe. Do you believe that? Yeah. And I love... I love the feedback. I love the answer out loud. But, but honestly, I want you to ask your own heart as we, as we go through this. Because again, I'm, I'm wrestling to believe some of what we're talking about today. I'm in the middle. 
I'm asking questions, and I've done study. I've spent time with the Lord this week, so there's a confidence that I have. But there, there is, this is good news, church, for the soul. And, and this is for every day. This is not just for Sunday. And so I want us to get this. I desperately long for this to change us and transform us because there is so much hope in what we're talking about today. And the title of this message is Indestructible Hope because it is that good. Nothing can come against it. Nothing. Our hope is like rock, except rock actually still can wear away. Rock can actually break down. The, the water, the pounding of the waves of the ocean can, can wear down and break rock over time. But our hope, our hope is not like that. It, it actually doesn't. It's, it's not vulnerable in any way. That the entire whole of the Pacific Ocean could well up in one swell and pound against the rock of our hope, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't deteriorate. Nothing would change its atomic structure. It wouldn't become sand. Nothing, nothing would happen because that's how sure our hope is. That's how, that's that, and that's why we have so much joy. That's why our joy is invincible because what we believe, nothing comes against it. Nothing can conquer it. And so I hope you see that today as we read this. Okay, Romans, Romans 8. I'm going to start in verse 12. We're going to read down through verse 30. We're just going to cover three verses again today, though, okay? But I want us to get this context because we, we only do Romans like once a month or once every other month. So Romans 8, verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. That is the earthly part of us, the part that will not see eternal life. It will just die and decay here on earth. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. You're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The body wants us to do that. It wants us to do this. And in the Spirit we say, no, I I will put to death those deeds which do not glorify God. Because I am new. I am in the Spirit. I'm not in the flesh anymore. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons or God's children. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Note that. There's no fear in this message today. So if you start feeling the fear of something, it's either because you don't want to let go of some sin or or because the devil's trying to accuse you. Perfect love casts out fear. Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We talked about that weeks ago. I'm not going to go into that, but just for a second, try to grasp the amazing nature of that. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we also may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed, for the children of God to be revealed and glorified in their fullness. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope 
that the creation itself will also be, this is a long sentence. Hang with me here. God subjected creation to futility in the hope that creation itself, just like the children of God, will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. God's going to make all things new. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Paul wrote that like 2,000 years ago. But you know what we can say today, 2,000 years later? Yeah, all creation's been groaning until now. Until now, too. Ever since Paul wrote this also. Before Paul, after Paul, up till now, all creation is groaning with labor pains because we're waiting for the return of the Lord. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the down payment, as the first fruits of our inheritance, we also groan within ourselves, <laughs> eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. These bodies are not redeemed. We have sickness. We have death. We got a lot of weakness. We're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Now, in this hope, we were saved. You with me? It's a lot of reading. That's not enough of you. You with me? Amen. Amen. Okay, now you're with me. Now, in this hope, we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. Do you understand that? Because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Remember we talked about this last month. That the whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit are all intimately involved in our prayers. Again, not three separate gods. It's not like, ah, we're missing the Spirit. Where's he at? Because God is one. We worship one God. But that great mystery that Father, Son, and Spirit engage with us when we commune, when we enter into speaking to the Lord with faith and hearing from Him and singing to Him, when we commune, when we pray, He is there and the Holy Spirit is interceding for us because we don't even know what we're supposed to pray. And when we think we do, we don't use the right words, but God's like, I got you. I understand the heart. I see. For those, no, 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 I missed like one of the most important verses. And, and this is where we're going to pick it up today in verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn, Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What the world is that talking about? And those God predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So we're going to enter into those last three verses today. And then maybe next time we'll actually finish Romans chapter 8 and jump into chapter 9. But here's the main idea as we're working through this. Not profound. It's exactly what the verse said, but it makes it personal because this is the task to believe this, that God is working everything in your life together for your good. God is working everything in your life together 
for your good. We're going to talk about that. A lot of questions come up, don't they? We're going to enter into that. A lot of us who have heard this verse, been in church a while, we kind of hear it and it's like, yes, that's good and we move on. But we're really going to meditate. We're really going to get into this. So let's pray. Father, you are so good. You're so merciful. You're here with us today. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your presence. We truly do love you. We do, Lord. Not because we found love in ourselves. Not because, you know, we, we're good like that. No, you, you have changed us. You have made us new. So we do love you. The Spirit of the Lord, your Spirit, God, is in us. That's why we love you as your children. And it is good to love you. It is the best thing to love you. So, Father, grow us in this. Lord, give us understanding. And not just understanding, but give us faith to believe what you help us understand. That as we, Paul says, we know. We see it. We perceive it. It's, it's, this is just true. As we hopefully perceive it today, Lord, may we enter into believe and say, yes, I'm going to stand on that. I'm going to live in accordance with that. Father, feed your sheep today. We need you. And I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So the context, verses 25 through 27, right before this, talking about us groaning, right? We are groaning. We are waiting. We are longing for Jesus to return and make all things new. That is the state of our life. Maybe on the good days, we're not groaning and we don't, we're, we're not waiting. We're, we're distracted. We're doing something and it's okay to have good days. Praise God. We're going to talk about that too. But it's, it's on those bad days where we really understand that. And we're like, yeah, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready for God to make things right. I'm ready for sin to be no more tired of fighting against it. I'm ready for my enemies to be put down because <laughs> I'm tired of them. I'm tired of Satan. I'm tired of his accusations. I'm tired of his continual poking and prodding and slashing at my weakness. I'm tired of my weakness. I'm tired of my frailty. I'm tired of doctor's appointments. I'm tired of, of, of the suffering of those I love. You starting to feel this? We're groaning. Ah! That's life. That's our life. We're waiting with anticipation. There's a joy in that, right? Paul says, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. That's the paradox we live in. That's the in-between. So we're waiting, and the Spirit is helping us. And then we come to verse 28. And Paul's like, we know, we know this, that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. This is the Greek word ido. It's not the other word gnosko that we see often, where it talks about more of a, an intimate experiential knowledge. This is the word ido, which means to see, to perceive with the eyes or to perceive with any of the senses. It's just, we, we see it. It's plain. The sun is shining today. We ido that. We can go outside and we just, it's there, we see it, we perceive it with our senses, feel its warmth on our skin, see it with our eyes, hopefully not 
actually with our eyes? We I know that the sun is shining. And so Paul says, we I know this, that God works, that all things are working together for good for those who love God. How do we know that? Do you see that? Do you perceive that? Maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes we can say, oh, I can see how God's working that for my good. Not always. Not always. First, we know it by faith. Faith is itself the evidence of what we can't see. That's Hebrews. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. We believe our God. We know it because we know who our God is. We know his nature. We know who he is. We know what he's doing. And more specifically, we know it because of the next verse, actually. Because it says, verse 29, for, in a sense, because, we know this, because those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, that definitely doesn't explain everything, but that is, that is the context for why Paul can say we know this, because we know what God's doing. We know that he foreknew us. We believe that. We already stand on that truth. That's already an established thing, Paul says. This is already an established thing we believe. This is part of what it means to be a Christian. We believe this, that God foreknew us and he predestined us to be made like Jesus, to be conformed to the image of his son. Therefore, we know that all things are working together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. If we believe this, then we can have confidence that God is using all things to accomplish this purpose because he is sovereign in all things. He is in control of all things. It is who he is. Nothing is wasted because God is using it all for your good. We know because we know our God. We know who he is and what he does. How amazing is it to believe that God is actively working in all things in our lives for our good. Think about that just for a second. What, what could that include? All things. We're going to talk about that in a bit. But just for a second, how close is God to you that he would see everything in your life right now and that he doesn't just observe it from a distance? He doesn't just observe it with a passive, disconnected, you know, well, I'm way up here. You know, that kind of stuff doesn't, you know, you'll get here eventually. No, no, that's not God's attitude. He's actively in your life. He's actively working all things in your life together for your good. All things. What love, what mercy. Do you see how near God is? He's a lot closer than we assume. He loves you more than you assume he does. He loves you more than you assume. That's hard to believe for some of us. Or sometimes it's just hard to believe altogether. And verse 29 clarifies a couple of things for us that we need to see as we keep moving forward, okay? One is this. This promise, be very clear in here this morning. This promise is only for believers. Is that exclusive, inclusive, both maybe? It's very exclusive. God, all thi- we know that all things work together for, for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. You know what that is? That's a description 
of the believer. That's a description of someone who has put their faith in Jesus. This is not just a nice sentiment that, oh, you know what Paul's saying? You know, it'll all work out in the end. Yes, but that's way too, like, I don't know. Daryl's got me using the word glib. That's way too glib, right? It's way too just, you know, it'll all work out in the end. No, it's deeper and more powerful and more moving than that. Rain falls on the just and the unjust, but for the believer, it has purpose. For the unbeliever, that's it. They just get whatever they get. For the one who does not put their faith in Jesus, it will not all work out in the end. Is that clear? Have I made that clear? That scripture declares it will not work out in the end for everyone. It won't. And we'll see in Romans 9, it is that exclusivity that helps us understand how merciful God is to those of us who believe. By the very fact that not all, this doesn't apply to all, means, do you see how merciful God is that He chose you? That you didn't deserve it. It wasn't because you were good. It almost just feels like luck. But it's not. It's the choosing of God. He chose you, brother, sister. He foreknew you. He predestined you to become like Jesus. Which leads us to our second thing that verse 29 clarifies. Are you with me? It looks like you're with me. I just need to make sure. Can you put that up? Donna? Good equals becoming like Jesus. We need to define that word because this is a really big promise, isn't it? That's a really big statement. That if it's true, that all things are working together for our good, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things. And they're not all good. All things is pretty encompassing and it includes a lot of bad stuff. So to make a statement like that, we need to define what good means. And verse 29 defines it for us. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. That good, the good that God is working in your life, believer, is he is making you like Jesus. Now, we say that all the time. We know that. We I know that every Sunday. We're becoming more like Jesus. That's what he's doing. That's part of our life. He's making us more like Jesus. We idol that, okay? But think of the absurdity. Enter in. Think of the absurdity that, that God is making us like Jesus. Think of the faith it takes to actually believe that. Because I'm not like Jesus. I got a lot of rebellion in me. I got a lot of anger in me. I've got a lot of pride in me. I've got a lot of selfishness. I've got a lot of stuff that doesn't look like Jesus. But these verses declare, no, but God is working all these things together to make you like Jesus, Hunter. He's working all things to make us more like Jesus. And it's not just talking about behaving like Jesus. This is key. No, We need to be reminded of this right here. Listen, whether you feel it or not, you do want to be made more like Jesus. For the believer in here, this is not a manipulative 
tact, manipulation tactic or something. This is just true. This is what I believe. This is, this is my faith. This is what holds me. That whether I feel it or not, the Spirit of God is in me. Therefore, there is a desire. I do want to be like Jesus. You want that. That desire may be crowded out by idolatry, by bitterness, by condemnation, by whatever the enemy chooses to throw at you. But it's there because you have faith in Jesus. It's that simple. We receive it like a child. It's that simple. You, if you have faith in Jesus, then you have a desire to be like him. God put that in you. Our soul and spirit cry for this. To know his love. And because that's the thing. When some of us hear that, you want to be made like Jesus, good equals becoming like Jesus. And maybe I'm not speaking for everyone. Maybe I just have to speak for myself. So often, growing up in church, working through like performance-driven living that, you know, it's all about what I do for God, what I do for God. I can look at good equals becoming like Jesus and I'm like, ah, darn. Just, just sounds like an obligation. I just got to do better. That's great. God's making me more like Jesus. He's, you know, he's ridding all the fun out of my life and making me a perfect person that's boring. And I don't know if that's real to anyone else in here. But that's real. But here's the deal. Meditate with me. Come into the truth with me. We long to know the love of Jesus. Not to just give it, but to receive it first. To receive it. That Jesus lived his life receiving love from the Father every moment. Jesus was continually receiving and enjoying the love of God. And nothing came between it. Except maybe the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But because Jesus did that, we'll never know that moment. Which means we never know a moment where we can't receive the love of God. It's there, which is what Paul's going to say in a few verses. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, right? That's just one aspect. What about Jesus' joy? That there was nothing that hindered the joy of Christ. There was nothing that blocked it. What about his peace? Jesus said to his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And I don't give like the world. This is part of what it means to become like Jesus. To be able to receive from the Father. To, to experience the fullness of love, joy, peace. His pure, rich laughter and enjoyment in the Father. That delight in God. That there's an honest delight there's not just an endless struggle to do what's right. There's a delight. His power. Becoming like Jesus means we begin to experience and know the power of Jesus. Did Jesus have power? Yeah, he did some things. Right? His victory over sin. Was Jesus victorious over sin? How many of you are tired? Of wrestling against sin. I am. Some days I'm exhausted. All these temptations in my head. All these temptations to be discouraged. Lust. Pride. 
caring about myself. I don't want to care about my wife right now. I want to care about me. Sin. I'm tired of wrestling against it. But Jesus isn't. I want to be more like Jesus. He's full of joy. He's full of peace. Are you beginning? We're meditating right now. That's what we're doing. Are you beginning to understand that good equals becoming like Jesus is a good thing? It's a good thing. So, let's transition here. What is all things? What is all things? This is fun. When we, when we keep it from being this generic term, God's working all things together for good. Well, what about, let's start, I'm going to break this down into three categories, right? We're going to start with the boring stuff. What about the boring stuff? What about the mundane, everyday tasks that are meaningless to us? Brushing your teeth this morning. I mean, it's not meaningless. Thank you for doing it. Right? But how far are we going to go with this? Making coffee in the morning. How about trying to just get out of bed in the morning? Amen is right. I mean, how far are we going to go? How much faith are we going to pump into this promise? There's a temptation here just to let it be the nice, simple pocket promise. We don't need to take this too far. It can just be that nice sentiment in a card or that on that piece of wall decor in our houses. Some of y'all got this. I know it. At least 10 of you in here probably have this on the wall in your home or in your car or something. It's the screen on your phone, the desktop, whatever that's called. <laughs> I'm not 80 years old. <laughs> Wallpaper! Thank you, Jackie. I have a phone. <laughs> it just means all things in general, okay? Sure. I mean, fine. But really, what is all things? You see, this is how all-consuming, thinking about this question and considering the mundane, boring things of life, right? I have to go empty the cat's litter box at some point, today or tomorrow, right? Just examples here. This is how all-consuming, all-consuming, let imagery come to your mind. What does that word mean? All-consuming. This is how all-consuming our relationship to and our identity in Jesus is. This is how involved the Holy Spirit is in our life when it seems so unspiritual. It doesn't feel like a Sunday morning when we're worshiping. It feels like I'm sitting on the couch binging a Netflix show. doesn't feel spiritual, don't feel connected to God, just, just trying to veg out and, you know, get through the week. But this is how close the Holy Spirit is. We're, not ju- we're just not used to thinking about it so intensely. Who is this promise for? Back to the beginning of Romans 8. Those who love God and are called according to His purpose are those who are in the Spirit. Remember we talked about we were in the flesh, but now we're in the Spirit. Those two operating systems, Android and Apple or whatever, right? That, that one leads us to death. We operate in the flesh. We just let the flesh lead us and do whatever kind of it says And sometimes that means being really religious in the flesh. Doing drugs, being super religious, whatever extreme you want to go to there in the flesh. In the spirit means that my life's not my own anymore. Like I'm I'm not, like I am, I am dependent on God 24-7. That's actually the life you're called to, Christian. I will remind you again. I will remind myself again. We're in the spirit. Your life is not yours anymore. You died with Christ. 
And now you are resurrected in Jesus. Look what Paul says. Colossians 3, 2-3. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And there's that word for again. Because. Why? Why do this? Because you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When we baptized Samantha two weeks ago, what, what was that a symbol of, right? You've been crucified with Christ, buried with Him. And then risen to newness of life. But that life is not this kind of separate thing now that you have somehow. It's in Christ Himself. You are connected to God. You cannot escape Him. Nothing will separate you from the love of God, even if you want to. Sorry. You gave your life to Jesus. It kind of, you're kind of His now. You kind of, your life is in, is Him. He is your life. Christ, and Paul says that actually in Colossians. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then we will appear with Him in glory. If we had time, I'd bring up more verses, and I guess I just brought up one. God is with you at all times. At all times. He loves you so much. He's not waiting for you to wake up in the morning and come back into conscious awareness so you can be spiritual. No. When you're trying to figure out what day it is, he's right there with a smile and a song he's singing over you. He's right there with kindness. The Father meets you with a smile. I mean, I had a crazy dream. I wake up. I'm like, what day is it? I just need coffee. That's all I need. And the Father's just right there. He's like, yep, it's good to see you again. It's good to see you again, son. Glad you're awake. Is that just, is that just nice, fluffy church talk? Or is that real? Is that really how much God loves us? Is that really how close he is? Is that really how much he cares? I think so. I think there's a few verses that say stuff like that. You may not be focused at certain points, but he is. He's always focused. So yes, he's working all things together for your good, dear believer, dear child of God, all things. Your battle to get out of bed, brushing your teeth, making breakfast and coffee, getting the kids dressed, driving on the way to work, when you are resting, all of it, he's working for your good. When you're watching TV, well, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know on that one. Serious. Like I'm bringing that to the table. How does that work? I'm watching this show on Netflix right now. Um, I don't need to give you all the info. It's a good show. It's like a kid's show from Nickelodeon, but it, it's like it's like my version of anime, I guess. But it's, it's a lot of fun. What about that, Lord? Is that working for my good? It makes you think, doesn't it? And it should. I actually don't have an answer for that yet. I didn't bring that because I had a, a real answer. But this truth, that how close God is to us, it brings so much hope to every day, it brings so much hope to when I'm making breakfast and I'm thinking about all I got to do today. It brings so much hope when I'm driving home from work and I'm thinking about the day, I'm thinking about what, what's coming up, I'm thinking about the stress. It brings so much hope to every single moment because God is that close. He's working it all. God, you're working all this for my good. You're working all this for my good. Emptying the cat's litter box. God, you're working this for my good? Okay, that's crazy, but awesome. When I'm doing the dishes, 
just trying to get it done so I can watch my show. God, you're working this for my good. Sorry, I'm just going to live out in front of you right here. This is my life. I want to believe and remind myself of that, that, that he's using this. Now, if we are in the flesh, the response is something like this. Well, if God's working everything for my good, I might as well watch another episode. I might as well. I might as well sin. God's working it all together for my good, all things. He doesn't give a, you know, a qualification. He just says all things. So I might as well. In the flesh, that's our response. Because the flesh wants to seek passivity and comfort and and get, get me away from the Lord. Just let me do my own thing. No. The children of God are not passive. It's not who you are, though. The hope that this truth brings to our life makes us question if we even want to keep watching the show. Do I actually want to engage in this sin? And what's the answer? No. I actually want to seek God. I want to seek Him. It's who we are. It's within you. So part of God working all things together for our good is your activity, your involvement. You're fighting against sin and bad habits and just general unhealthy habits. That fight is motivated by the Spirit. God's using that fight for your good. This promise is not an isolated thing. It's not just a principle that's disconnected to everything and just floats up there. Well, if all things are working together for my good, who cares what I do? That is not the conclusion we come to. Because that promise is within the life of Jesus. It's within the Christian life that Paul has been teaching us about. That the Lord is giving us of what His desires are. Of what do we truly want? What is our purpose? We were called according to God's purpose. Which includes me fighting against sin. Which includes me maybe turning the TV off for a little bit. Which includes me, maybe I'm going to turn down the cigarettes. I need to stop. I just need to stop. There's a higher purpose I'm called to. So I'm going to lean into hard things because God's working it for my good. God's working it for my good. The fight is the action of God. You're fighting. It's, it's, it's involved. It's, is it you doing it or is it God doing it? We've had this conversation before. Yes, it's both. God is working in you as you work and seek Him. And your faith is in His working, not your effort. But you're still putting forth the effort because you believe he's using it. Again, I, it's, it, I don't get it all the time, but it's, I'm, it's true nonetheless. That's why we meditate. So fight passivity. Fight laziness. Fight the bad habits. You're not condemned, but there's more for you. Choose hope. Choose to believe. So often I think we just we don't understand the richness of hope of our indestructible hope and the reason we have bad habits and the reason we do some of the things that aren't wise is because we just, we're not living in hope. Our hope's kind of out there somewhere and it's just, but it's not right here in my face breathing life into me. So yeah, I'm just tired. I just want to veg. Who cares? Like, whatever. No, but your hope is bigger than that 
And I'm growing in this church. I come to you in the middle today. I'm preaching this in the middle, not because I've arrived and I've figured it out. So let's get a little deeper. What about the bad things? All things. What about the bad things? I spent way too much time on the boring things. What about the bad things? What about your past? What about that one relationship, that loss, that grief, that pain, that season in your life, that trauma, that memory, that situation, that abuse, that mess? And maybe you can only recall it slightly. I don't want to force anyone into recalling something horrible today, but but whatever you can, this would be a good moment to recall it to your mind because we're going to test it against this promise. And you're safe. You're safe in the Lord right now. And this might be the kicker. Someone you loved is gone. Okay, great. Maybe they were a believer and they're in heaven, but they're still gone right now. They died and maybe you didn't even get to say goodbye. There's a lot of pain represented in this room. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of wounds. In those situations, we don't want to hear how God is working it all together for good. Get away from me. <laughs> uh, no, don't come at me with something like that. I don't care, Lord. That's great, but I want them back. How? How, Lord? How could you possibly be working this for my good? You don't think Job, that was some of his questions to God when he's hurling all this stuff at the Lord with his friends. He's just hurling everything at God. He's just like, I don't understand. This doesn't make any sense. And brother, sister, I don't know. I don't know. I could suggest some possibilities of how God could be working it together for good. But that won't be good enough to make it right or relieve your pain right now. What we know is that we are small. That's not fun, but it's true. We're small. And we groan and mourn the realities of death and loss while we are on this earth. But you and your loved ones... Your lost loved ones were not made only for this life. There's there's something bigger here. And it doesn't mean you should feel better. It just means this is still true. This is still true. And we must. We must recognize this right here. Are you listening? Are you listening? Our loved ones belong to the Lord. They do not belong to us. Again, that's not fun. My control went out the window just now. I'm not in control. I don't get to demand that, that God keeps Ray here for a certain amount of years. God, I get to die first. No. No. The Lord gives and the Lord takes. But he will never take away himself from us. He will never leave. And I can't, guys. I can't imagine what it would be like if God took Ray from me. 
it would be right for me to cry, to grieve, and mourn. That would be right. But she is not my life. As much as I love her, as much as she loves me, she doesn't, she doesn't complete me. I don't complete her. Who completes us? Who completes us? You stand on that. It doesn't mean you don't love deeply. It means you love deeper than anyone else. But you know what it means? It means that God is my life. He is the sustainer of my soul. And when I lose someone I love, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt where there's no words. Where you cry and you feel like your stomach's going to come out. Because you feel sick. It's going to hurt. It doesn't mean God's not with you. My wife is a gift from the Lord. And I use Ray as an example because she is dearest to me. I love my mom, love my dad, love my siblings, love my good friends in here. You know, but, but God is my life. They are gifts. Hopefully I'm a gift to them as well. Relationships, they're gifts, and the Lord gives and the Lord takes. But it's better to love and hurt than not love at all. And God called you to this. But at the end of the day, He is the sustainer of your soul. He is your portion. He is enough. And what I'm saying here, I don't know if you're getting it. Be careful not to idolize the people you love. You turn them into idols. You turn them into things that serve you. Well, I need this person in my life because I love them and they make me feel loved and secure and and I don't want them to go. I need them. And we do need each other. We do. But when God takes them away, He is there. And He is enough. These are hard truths, church. We groan while we're here. This is part of it. Are you still with me? I know I'm... I know I'm going long, but I only get to preach once a month, so just just hang in there, okay? Thank you, guys. All right. God's not wincing at the terrible atrocities in our lives in the world saying, oh, well, hang in there, kiddos. You'll get over it. Sorry about that one. No, God has purpose. That's the thing. That's what Paul's telling us. He says, we know. We know they're gone, but God has a purpose. And we can try, a lot of us, we do this. We try to comfort each other. We try to comfort ourselves. And we're like, oh, here's what God wanted to do with that. Here's the purpose. Maybe, but maybe not. But we know God has a purpose. There are things in my life still, when I look back, I'm like, I should be over this. But it stings. But it hurts still. When I think about it, sadness rises up. The answer is not shutting it out. I'm not going to feel that. No, it's feeling it and taking it to the Lord and claiming the promise again. I don't know how. But God is working this for my good. Can you trust your Father's heart when you can't understand what His hands are doing? Can you trust God's heart? Do you know Him enough? If not, then that's part of why you need to get in the Word. Because you need to know Him. Not because you need to be a good Christian. Because you really need to know your God so you can believe promises like this. 
Because if you don't know God, why would you trust something crazy like this? But when you get a taste of his goodness, of the good he's working for you, it's like, okay, Lord, this doesn't make no sense at all. But I know your heart. Job, I mean, come on. God had a divine bet with Satan. And Satan wrecked Job's life while God stood by. You think Job saw that? You think Job saw that coming? Oh, this makes perfect sense. I just lost my family, my livelihood, and my wife wants me to kill myself. I see God's purpose all over this. No. No. This is the fight of faith. To believe. To believe this. Okay, moving on. And I think I quoted Kirk Franklin. I needed to say that. If, if some of you, some of you know where. That, that's all that matters. Just for copyright issues or whatever. Just need to yeah, plagiarism. That's, that's the word. <laughs> Just cry in his arms when you need to. And then trust him again. That's what David did. Oh, my soul is in despair. I'm in the pit. My enemies surround me. My tears have been my food. But I will hope in the Lord. I don't know. I just combined like three, four different psalms probably. But that was the pattern of David. He cried in the Lord's arms and then he's like, I'm going to get up and I'm going to believe again, doggone it. I'm going to get back at it. So what about the good things, briefly? What about the good things? We're, we're, we are winding down. What about the good memories, the fun vacation, that celebration, that birthday party? What about accomplishments in life? Sexual satisfaction in marriage. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Growth and success in life. These are good things. And sometimes I just want to bring up sex just to remind us that it's okay to talk about that. How is God working these things together to make us more like Jesus? The good stuff. The things we celebrate. The times we laugh. The things we cherish. In these good things, we get to receive expressions of the Father's love and kindness. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variableness or changing. That's James. Every good and perfect gift comes down from God, so we receive it from Him. Learn to receive the good in your life from God because what it causes is it causes thanksgiving to abound. But if you're only assuming, no, nah, coffee's there in the morning. I love coffee, if you couldn't tell. Right? This good food, going out to enjoy. There's, there's enough money in the bank to do this right now. This vacation, it's just part of life. No, whoa, receive that from the Lord. I was telling the guys this morning yesterday. Yesterday was a long day. And honestly, my message wasn't even done. I didn't even know, and, and I had to do all this stuff, and there was a lot of work, and I was stressed. But the Lord gave me so much strength and joy through the whole day. It was awesome. And I was thinking about that on the way here this morning. I was like, oh my soul. I was all worried that I wasn't going to get this done or that I was, you know, dreading having to do this. And I didn't even know what I was going to say. Get up and say to you guys, that's a bad feeling. But the Lord just worked it out. I'm going to receive that from him. I'm going to receive that from the Father. We get to give thanks. We get to receive his generosity and recognize it. That's generous. I didn't deserve that, Lord, but you did it. I didn't deserve my wife. 
I don't deserve my house. I don't deserve my dog. I don't deserve my cat. I love them all. Don't deserve them. Don't deserve them. That's generosity, Lord. That's kindness, Lord. I'm going to receive that from the Lord. Do you see how the good things begin to make us more like Jesus? It's not about us. When you're praising God and giving thanks and worshiping Him, you're, you're becoming more like Jesus. And not just on a Sunday when you're singing, but in your life when you learn to worship the Lord in your heart, you are becoming more like Jesus. He's already working it for good. We get to worship and get in thanksgiving and praise, exclaiming, He does all things well. In the good times, that's, that's how God, that's one of the ways God's working it for our good. Okay, verse 29 and 30. Let's wrap it up here. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So before eternity, and this is giving us a little taste of what's to come in Romans 9. God foreknew you. Now that doesn't mean he looked down the timeline and he said, oh, you know, that's Keone. That's Nick. That's John. No. It means he looked down the timeline and set his love on you. And said, yeah, John, Keone, Nick. Yeah, I should have used a woman. Jackie, gotta, gotta you know, make sure we're, we're equal some, somewhat. He said, yeah, them, they are mine. And I will make them my child. They will be with me and I will be with them. I have a plan and a destiny for them specifically. Now, this was before God made the entire world or any human. He looked down and he foreknew you. He foreknew you, believer. Beloved child of the Lord in here, he foreknew you. He set his love on you. He predestined you. He has a predestiny for you. Before you're born, God has a predestiny. Why? Well, verse 29 says, because he wanted Jesus to have a lot of siblings. He wanted a big family. Jesus went before us. He is the firstborn in this plan. Now, that word firstborn is a little weighty. Okay, what does that mean? Jesus is the firstborn. Not because he was created first. That's what like the Jehovah's Witnesses will claim, that Jesus was the first creation of God. No, Jesus is God. He is one with the Father and the Spirit. He is the firstborn because he is preeminent. He is above all. And he went before us as the first child of the Father, resurrected from the dead to the Father's side and glorified in heaven. He's the first one to walk through all of that. He's not the first one to resurrect, right? But he is the first one to resurrect into glorification. Are you with me? I know I'm going long. I am fully aware of that. But stay with me. Think about the others who resurrected in Scripture, right? Lazarus and some of the others. We know their, their names are the widow's son, or Jarius' daughter. We don't know their names. Peter's mother, right? I thought you just had a fever. She didn't die, bro. Bro, you're trying to catch me slipping up here. Nah, she just had a fever. She was just sick. She was just sick. Man, I've seen the chosen. Come on, bro. (laughs) Oh, praise God. Praise God. Jesus brought these people back to life, but eventually they died again. We don't really think about that. They saw death twice. They died of old age or something. But Jesus is the first to truly resurrect to everlasting life. He is the firstborn in God's family. He's the example. 
That's our destiny too. That's our path. Jesus has a lot of siblings. He bought us all with his own blood on the cross. So to finish, let's walk through the steps of of verse 30 real quick. So after he foreknew us and predestined us, then he called us. Do you remember when God called you? Don't panic. Like, oh, oh, did God call me? I don't remember it. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it wasn't a moment in time where he was just like, Red, I will make you my son. No, but it was the gentle calling of the Lord. That's what it was in my life. When I got down on my knees and I knew how dirty I was and I needed something different. I felt so empty. I needed God. He called me. A lot of times he does it through suffering. He says, yeah, come to me. Jesus, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Do you remember the call of God in your life? And here's the crazy thing. You might be on this step right now. God may be calling you right now to give your life to the Lord. You know why? Because he wants to do the next step, justify you. Those he foreknew, he predestined. Then he called you and then he justified you. And justification, what's that? It's to be made right, to be made righteous. We spent many chapters talking about that. Paul explained that to us earlier in Romans. He justified us. He once and for all declared us holy and righteous. My child, justified, made righteous. God calls us. We answer the call by putting our faith in Jesus. That's salvation. That's being born again. God justifies us. And what's next? What's the last step? This is what we are waiting to experience. But it is already as good as done. We will be glorified with Jesus. God didn't do all the previous things to miss this step. He's not going to take you one through four. He's not going to take foreknew you, predestine you, call you, justify you, and then, ah, sorry, no glory. No glory. No, he's going to make us like Jesus. He's going to finish the work he started. This is good news. He started a work in you, Christian. He's going to finish it. Hallelujah and praise God. So here's our takeaway. Choose indestructible joy every day. Choose it. Okay, choose it. The the enemy's not going to lay down and just say, Ah, they're saved. I've lost them. They have hope now. At least he hasn't done that for me. He's done everything in his power to convince me that I don't have hope, which doesn't make any sense because I'm a child of God and I have all the hope in the world. I have indestructible indestructible hope and joy. You have to choose it. Because here's what happens. This is awesome because we're meditating on it and we're observing it right now and maybe it's easier to believe. But to the world, this is ridiculous. This is just cute and nice. It's glad, I'm glad you have something to believe in. You know, Elena, you know, we were talking about this yesterday. Oh, it's just your faith is, is that. I'm so glad you have something to believe in. Good for you. There's not even a consideration that actually this is universal. Jesus is the king of the world. Not just my religion. This is who he is. He's God. He defines truth. That's what we believe. That's what we stand on. And the world says, ah, just get back to the real world already. There's work to do, endless problems to solve. It doesn't take long before this passage becomes relegated to a nice sentiment on the wall of our life. And we forget its overcoming power. 
it's still, we, we, we give lip service and we're like, oh, that's good. But we forget it's overcoming power. It's indestructible nature. Oh, that's right. Nothing can come against this. I'm amazed at how easily I can, am convinced to hand my hope over. Oh, if you could see it in like an illustration, you would just be like, what are you doing? It's like, oh, I have no hope. And it's not this in, in general. It's, it's the everyday hope. I have hope today. I don't need this to work out or that to go well. I don't need all these things. I have hope right now in Jesus. Teach me that hope, Lord. Teach us that hope, Father. This is why we must seek the Lord. We need Him. He is right there. But we are too busy or too discouraged or too distracted. Cry out, Lord, I need you. I need help. I need your promises again. Come to Jesus again and again this week and find rest for your soul. He will not leave you. He is working all this mess for your good. He is working in all things for your good. Maybe get curious this week. Lord, what about this? How, how could you be working this for my good? What about that? How is that? And begin to explore that with Him. Begin to ask Him. Begin to commune with God again and seek Him. Choose indestructible hope every day. Thank you guys for listening so well. Thank you for... I hope... Man, I hope this was helpful. I hope this is edifying. And, and Father, I just ask that, that you would bring this home in your children. I pray it for me, God. I pray for your wonders to continue being done in my life and in the lives of my brothers and sisters in here that we would rejoice evermore in Jesus, that we would love you. You are working all things together for the good of those who love you, and that's who we are. We are those who love you, God. So may we love you with all our heart, soul, and mind. Finish the work you started, Lord. If there's areas where we are, man, I don't know, maybe in a sense hindering your work or we're not, we're not enjoying it, maybe is a better way to say it. We're just interested in other things. We're blinded by the flesh. Oh, Father, would you correct us in those areas? Lord, you are the God who pursues us. You're the God who's so merciful and good. We just give you thanks. Give us, give us praise now, Lord, as we sing to you. Even though it's late, even though we're hungry, God, we want to worship you. We want to believe this. So keep us here for a little longer so that, man, we might just declare the worthiness of Jesus and the hope that we have in his name. Amen.